This is Asia in Focus from Control Risks, the global specialist risk consultancy. Each episode of Asia in Focus brings you in-depth analysis and perspective from our experts in Asia Pacific on the issues that matter most to businesses. Hi, everyone. This is Angela Mancini, Partner Control Risks, and I lead the Asia Pacific Markets Group. We are less than four months away now from Indonesia's election for president and vice president. This is an election that takes place every five years. There's about 200 million people that go to the polls. This time, about a third of those will be under the age of 30. And it's the world's largest single-day election. And not only is it important for democracy in Indonesia, but it's really important for all the businesses that operate in that massive market. And we're here today to talk about that. This huge country with the biggest economy in Southeast Asia is on the path of growth no matter who leads it after Jokowi. Knowing the new president and his policies is very important, but businesses have some homework to do, and that is map your terrain. Indonesia just closed the presidential candidate registration this week, and our own Ahmad Sukarsono, our lead analyst for Indonesia, is on the ground now in Jakarta, has been out talking to people working in the campaigns, has been talking to businesses out there, and is here today to give us a look at what we can expect as the election kicks off now in the coming months running up to the February 14th poll, and what we can expect also uh, as we get past the election and into actually who is going to be leading the country and what we think we might see. So Ahmad, let's turn to you. Like I said, you're on the ground there. You've been following Indonesia for decades, and you've got a really great insight into, again, not just what the politics are, but what our clients are out there dealing with every day, what they're facing, what they're worried about. Can you just give us a very quick read? What are you seeing from there on the ground? Indonesians call their elections the festival of democracy. And considering how noisy the three candidates for president registered this week, the festivities have clearly begun. They submitted their papers along with marching bands, giant puppets, and thousands of colorful supporters who flooded the streets. So I think the race to replace President Jokowi, uh, AKA Mr. Congeniality, will be a long, noisy drama that can last for almost a year. The Valentine's Day vote will not produce a winner as none of the candidates will be able to win the hearts of half of Indonesia's 200 million voters. The top two from this first contest will have to battle it out in a runoff in late June. And then the loser of that race will possibly, and I think definitely go to the courts to cry foul. And then the lawsuits will go on until August or September, a few weeks before the winner must be inaugurated in October. So in the next 12 months, Indonesia will be awash by this soap opera. This will be a year of red herrings, full of unexpected twists and turns and good old political backstabbing. So for businesses, it's best not to get sucked into the plots and subplots and just wait until the end before making a bold decision. Okay, so you're so you're outlining quite a lot of drama that's going to take place in the run-up to the election, including also what you just described as potential uh, season of lawsuits as well. But you're ultimately saying it's a red herring. Um, 
is there anything more you want to share on that? And more, more specifically, perhaps, if you're a business then, what do you actually do in these coming months? Probably I'll just introduce the cast of characters first. First, we have the frontrunner, Defense Minister Prabowo Subianto, a European educated minister's son who married the dictator's daughter. He was beaten twice by commoner Jokowi in the 2014 and 2019 presidential elections. Knowing that he needs the Jokowi effect to swoon Indonesian voters, he is now running with Jokowi's son, Gibran Rakabuming, who is half his age. Now, Prabowo and Gibran are both businessmen from business families. Therefore, they're the most bis pro-business players in the mix. But Prabowo and Gibran clearly are not Jokowi. They're not born poor. They're not one of the masses, much the opposite. They're elitions of political dynasties. So furthermore, this week's confirmation that the Jokowi clan is behind Prabowo is akin to Brutus for his own PDIP party that launched the incumbent's rise a decade ago. PDIP is keen to punish this betrayal and win a third term as ruling party through, his through their candidate, Ganjar Pranowo, who most recently governed Jokowi's home province of Central Java. And he will run with Jokowi's respected minister for politics and law, Mohamed Mahfoud. So Prabowo Subianto and Ganjar Pranowo who both want to be Jokowi, who wants to be as popular as Jokowi and continue his policies, will go to the final. That's my prediction. They will likely go to the final in June when we expect a very close fight. But this script might be spoiled by the third contender, former Jakarta governor Anis Baswedan, who was Jokowi's campaign spokesman in 2014 before becoming Jokowi's antithesis. He has been lagging behind the other two, but he has tricks up his sleeves. Now, I've told you a lot of names, right? But they are all related. They are all in the same kind of circle with personal baggages and with access to grind. So their interactions in the coming months will be full of intrigues. They will trigger catfights here, tear jerkers there, and that will push attention to some direction or some policy or some sector, but momentarily until another twist pops up. You can see how businesses can get lost in the plots, right? And when you get lost here and make a wrong bet, then you will regret it because what is most important is not all of these twists and turns, but the ending. And when the ending emerges, that's when business should really make a decision. Okay, that's really helpful. And I think you have summarized quite nicely just how uh, intense the politics can be and how everyone has uh, relationships from years past that are intertwined and how we can expect a lot of, again, news and drama in the months ahead. But again, so if you're, if you're a major business or investor in Indonesia or looking at Indonesia, and especially in this time period where people are trying to take advantage of de-risking out of China to some extent, um, with Indonesia being a potential terrific recipient of some of that investment, what do you actually do in these coming months? Do you just sit tight and wait for the election and, and not really do much with your business in these coming months? Are there opportunities? What do you recommend? Well, they must do something, right? Um, waiting for convoluted plots to become clear in the drama will definitely make businesses anxious and impatient, but it will be a long drama. 
So what we can say to these businesses is don't expect pro-business reforms that can improve Indonesia's investment climate in this period. Because politicians and policymakers in Indonesia are all glued on the elections. That said, there will be two sets of policies or discourses that will go parallel with the election season. First, policies related to President Jokowi's legacy programs as he will accelerate the processes so that he can leave a clear mark for the history books. This includes downstream industrialization in the mining and agricultural se sectors, as well as high-profile infrastructure projects like the prospective capital city. Businesses will be nicely rewarded with operational ease if they are aligned with these endeavors, but with a reminder that things can change when Jokowi leaves. Second kind of policy, we will see policies that are more, let's just say, pro-people from the Jokowi government. And this will be picked up by candidates who will promise to do the same kind of pro-people policymaking when they succeed him. So pro-business probable will have to have a pro-people spin as well as the others. If he really wants to compete with Ganjar Pranowo, who is pro-labor and kind of left-leaning, who will paint Prabowo's ticket as elitist, even nepotistic. Now, this trend can restrict business operations if these politicians need to show voters they are really protecting the people. And we are seeing this in the e-commerce sphere where politicians and policymakers are trying to help offline sellers that symbolize the masses against the avalanche of online shopping that has taken away customers. The result has been restriction after restriction after restriction for internet marketplaces and platforms, especially those that sell cheap Chinese products. Now, businesses must adjust to this populist trend in the coming year and find ways to mitigate the impact if they do not want to lose out. But the final thing that businesses must do in this coming year is mapping the people who can be in the next government by understanding who are gravitating towards a certain candidate and who are on the other side. I'll give you an example. The campaign teams will have people that will become ministers, and these are the ones that you need to focus on and know and probably make champions out because they will be the ones advising the next president. Now, by August, September, this stakeholder mapping exercise will reach final stage. And that's when we can see who is going to come as the winner of this reality show. Businesses should be ready for that, not only wait and munch some popcorns. That's great advice. Let me press you a little bit further. Um, you've talked here and also in your writings about the fact that regardless of who wins this election, there's going to be a regime change, not just because Joe Kobe is no longer going to be in power, but to your point just now, because all the people around him will also be um, be changing. But can you talk a little bit more about how what we're going to see in the next leadership is going to be different from the Joe Kobe administration more specifically? Firstly, I have to say that in Indonesia, what matters most are personalities and personal relations, not policies and procedures. A change of leadership means a change of networks that businesses must deal with. Now, the Jokowi era, I have to say, has not been dominated by the ruling party PDIP. It's not a PDIP era. To be honest, in the economic sphere, it is dominated by the linkages around Jokowi and the most powerful minister in the cabinet, his own business partner, Luhut Panjaitan, who is a former general, a former minister, a former ambassador, 
who now owns Jokowi's furniture company. Now, the whole downstream industrialization, green energy transition, or even closeness to China are aligned with the interests of Luhut's business. That is why Luhut is not only the coordinating minister for maritime and investment affairs, but he is also the top architect behind all of Jokowi's economic and foreign policy. Without Jokowi, there will be no Luhut, as none of the candidates will allow that to happen, of course, because they are not as close as Jokowi to Luhut. They will have their own Luhuts. They will have their own strongman or strong team to handle um, the economic and foreign policy making. I have to say, we are actually witnessing a glimpse of that post-Jokowi era now because Luhut is now being hospitalized in Singapore. Now there's a certain confusion in distributing the roles that he holds to the caretakers, as none of these caretakers carry their carry his influence. This dynamic is already confusing businesses. But the silver lining is we can start stakeholder mapping from now, as Jokwe might use people from the Prabowo or Gibran camp to fill in these roles. If Prabowo is elected, along with Gibran, Jokwe's son, we expect people from their business circles taking important roles in the government and then restructure the bureaucrats in the ministries to find a formation that benefits their interests most. The same will happen if one of his rivals wins. Now, the big difference between Prabowo and the two is that Ganjar Pranowo and Anis Baswedat and their running mates do not have businesses. Therefore, the ones that will be the economic policymakers will be decided by leaders of the parties behind these two candidates. So you can see that there is much homework to do for businesses while waiting for the elections, uh, waiting for the elections end. Businesses need to really investigate these prospective people who might become relevant to their sectors, to their uh, locations of investment, and not only at the top, but also at the execution level. We will return to the conversation with Ahma shortly. Please do click on the link in our podcast notes to follow our Asia in Focus podcast series, where we'll be bringing regular updates from all across the region. And if you're looking for more of our Indonesia election analysis, please do visit controlrisk.com slash Indonesia for more of our content there. And now let's get back to our conversation with Ahmad. I know a lot of the work that you and your team does with control risk clients is in Indonesia, right? It's looking at who, which stakeholders matter and how to move things in the right direction for your business and understand what's around the corner by doing uh, some work, not just at the top levels of the ministries, but also, of course, down at the more working levels where things really happen in Indonesia. So if I can, um, for a moment, turn to what we might expect after the election. So regardless of who wins... Um, we're looking, as you've said, at a regime change and kind of a, a bit of a step change of the business climate in Indonesia. What does that mean more broadly for, you know, the ease of doing business and just operating in general in the country? I mean, having looked at the country for many, many years, there's been a lot of challenges, as we know, with corruption, bureaucracy, red tape, all those things in the general umbrella of the ease of doing business. Do you expect any of that to change for the better or the worse? once we do have a new leader in power. That is actually the bad news for business. The level of corruption in the country with businesses facing predatory officials everywhere, every day, will remain. 
it won't get better. It might even get worse. Um, nobody has the stomach or intent to emulate Jokowi's anti-corruption drive in his first term, particularly between 2015 and 2018, because that particular drive triggered a really strong political backlash. The drive hurt Jokowi's own party and coalition as hundreds of politicians were prosecuted when the anti-corruption agency, the KPK, got the free rein to do their job based on the strongest evidence, right? But from the late, from late 2018, the KPK has been weakened, including through the appointment of a chief who is close to the ruling party. And ever since, KPK has lost its luster. It has lost its respect and even its deterrent effect. Um, now we have scandals involving its own leaders. So while the new president working with the new parliament will likely change the whole KPK lineup just to make it look more credible, one thing is certain. KPK will continue to be selective so that it won't ruffle the feathers of the people in power. If the people change, therefore, the selectiveness will also change. And that is a challenge for businesses. On one hand, they will still meet these extortive officials and politicians. But on the other hand, they will face high risk of being legally processed if they fall into this corrupt nature. The KPK, the new KPK, will definitely want to stay relevant and therefore keen to look for targets. And because many businesses, sorry, many politicians are out of their reach, they will look for businesses. Why? Because this is a softer, less politically sensitive target. And when I say businesses, that include local and international companies, their middlemen, and also the middle level bureaucrats, policemen, judges, prosecutors, who they bribe for the ease of operation. So even now, we have seen a giant company from favored nation China being prosecuted in Indonesia. And this shows how far an anti-corruption drive can go if you're not protected. So my first advice is quite standard. The highest level of ethics and compliance must be upheld when you operate in Indonesia. But that must be complemented by the willingness to spend on relationship building ethically to ensure that there are champions in the new government who will protect your business. And that starts with thorough due diligence and stakeholder mapping before drafting a sensible engagement strategy. So rather than, again, munching on popcorn while watching the election drama, businesses should begin some groundwork now. That's a great overview. And I think some of those areas of advice, I know you, again, you and the team have been working on with companies for quite a long time, primarily including the idea of you have to stay clean and you can make money and you can do very well in Indonesia, but you have to really put the effort in to compliance and also to your point, really into that stakeholder engagement. So it sounds like it's advice that we've had for clients through the years, but really more important than ever, especially considering some of the changes that we're going to see in the policy sphere and, and in leadership and with corruption as well. So I, with all that said, last question for you, what's your key takeaway for businesses now? All right. I'm knowing the new elected leader, knowing the new president and his policies, of course, is very important. But before we get there next year, literally 12 months from now, businesses have some homework to do. So rather than making bold decisions now, when things are too dynamic or smarting over red herrings or just waiting until the dust from the election battle settles, businesses need to talk more to the people on the ground, within their sectors, in the locations where they operate, and find out 
what kind of socio-political interests that will be relevant for the new president. And then look for the champions in, the, in each presidential campaign teams and draft some sort of alignment that is ethical, credible, and mutually beneficial. By October next year, the business who does this will be well prepared to dance with the new president. That's great advice. So the takeaway is no popcorn, do your homework. <laughs> right. Fantastic. Thanks. I mean, it sounds like there's a lot that we're going to see in these coming months, but I think you've done a terrific job really crystallizing what we might see, but more importantly, what businesses can expect and do uh, and start getting across now to position themselves in the most effective way for when we do have a new leader, whoever that person is that is elected. So it just leaves it to me to say thank you so much. Uh, Ahmad, and uh, we will look forward to hearing from you again as the months progress and as we um, see how the elections are playing out. Thank you so much. And thanks everyone for listening. And we look forward to the next one. Thank you. If you enjoyed what you heard on this episode of Asia in Focus, be sure to subscribe and make sure to check out our other podcasts as well. All of our podcasts are available wherever you listen. Just search Control Risks. You can follow all of our analysis and find out how we're helping businesses build organizations that are secure, compliant, and resilient by visiting controlrisks.com.